Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So it's all, everyone say all. It's all part of the plan, all right? Our, our concept here is based on Romans 8, 28 through 29, which we are going to read right now. It says, and we know that in all things, everyone say all, God works for the good. Everyone say good. The good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And... and and let me give you the gist of these two scriptures here, is that we believe that God can and will take all things that happen in your life and work it towards your good and toward God's plan for your life if you let him. This does not mean that all things are good. Let's, let's just clarify that. Because there are a lot of things that happen in this life that are not good. Can I get an amen? amen. Are not good. But, God is so good that God will take those things that are not good and take them and make them work for our good if we let him. And, and what he'll do is he'll take those things and make it all a part of God's plan. Now, what we got to get, get, in, get in our brains first is what is God's plan? Don't, don't y'all like, doesn't it, it boggle your mind? Like, what is God's plan for my life? Like, what is the plan of God? Like, what job should I have? Who should I marry? Should I dump this guy? Should I get this job? Should I, you know, should, should I have three kids, four kids, two kids, no kids? Like, what the heck is God's plan? And here's the thing. There's so many questions about life you have, I have, we have, that we can say, what is God's plan? But here's the thing. There are a lot of things that, that are not certain. But one thing that is certain about what is God's plan for your life is this. And we see it in verse, 20, in verse 29, where God's plan, ultimate plan for your life is to shape you and form you to be like Jesus. When you sum up, what is God's plan for your life? He wants to take you and shape you to be like Jesus. Here's the thing. If you don't know the end goal for your life, God's, God's blueprint, God's plan for your life is to make you like, like Jesus, you will miss the stuff that God brings and, and, and puts in your life because here's the thing, right? If you don't think that God's ultimate end goal is to form you to be like, like Jesus and you think that God's plan for your life is just to make you happy or just to make you comf- comfortable, you will misinterpret everything. Because honestly, right, like we, we, we can get confused on what God's plan is. And honestly, what the church has done many times is we've said, God's plan for you is to make you rich and blessed and prosperous. And he just wants you to have a, you know, you know, you know healthy, wealthy, and just, you know, just, just, just all of, of these things. But honestly, what we see in scripture, God's main goal for you is to shape you and make you to be like Jesus. So we've got to make sure, be saying it's all part of the plan. What is the plan? God's end goal, his blueprint is to take every one of you here and to form and shape you to be like Jesus. And y'all, this is such good news. Why? Because here's the thing, right? God, his, his good news, see, see here's the thing. It, it doesn't matter if you're then black or white, rich or poor, president of the company, janitor of the company, balling with your bank account or balling on a budget. What we see is that Jesus doesn't grade you on the status of, of your position it's the posture of your heart and this goes beyond any earthly classification that we give people black white rich poor guy girl whatever here's the thing we all can be a part of God's plan because God's ultimate plan is to form and make a people that are like himself here's the thing if you don't know that the end goal of your life God's end goal God's end plan for you is to form and shape you like Jesus you'll misinterpret things why? Because you'll say, if something good happens, well, God must love me. I'm God's favorite. Don't y'all know I'm God's favorite, right? It's like, or if something bad happens, you're like, well, God just does, does, doesn't like me. I'm just, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, possibly God doesn't love me. But, but here's one of the things that we can easily misinterpret in our lives if we don't see that God, what, what, God's, what God's end goal is, is this word suffering. Suffering. Is there anything more confusing in life or disorienting about God 
than when you suffer. Because honestly, I think that we can all say it's not if you suffer, but when you suffer. It can be personal suffering that's, that you're feeling. It can be suffering that you see in our world. You see these injustices, and they just eat at you. Maybe you've got chronic physical pain. Maybe you've lost someone close to you that you just dearly love, and you're picking up the pieces and saying, how can I move on without this person? Maybe you're taking care of sick family members, and you're just dealing with, with, with whether it's cancer ravaging their body or whether it's dementia or whether it's some sort of, of just sickness that is just ruining someone you love. Maybe you were a victim of, of being sexually abused and you're dealing with the fallout psychologically and emotionally of that moment. Maybe you're consistently depressed, you have anxiety, and you look in our world and you see kids with cancer. You see mass shootings, hurricanes, fires. Frankly, it can get overwhelming to see the pain, the hurt, and suffering in our world. I remember three and a half years ago being there whenever cancer was ravaging my mom's body. 62 years old, had battled it and beat it a couple times before. But there was this one time where it, it just took over. She got an infection, and it, it started to do what it does. She didn't have any white or red blood cells built, built up, so she, just, so she didn't have a system fighting, fighting the infection in her body. And just sitting there with her, I was a pastor at, at the time, sitting there with her and seeing cancer, just looking at a shell of who she was. And wrestling with the thought, God, if there's anyone that should not have had this happen to her, like if there's anyone on this planet, like my mom was the most loving generous, giving, served in the church for 30 years. I mean, gave everyone money. Like, it was absolutely insane. Like, the money she gave away. You know, she, she lived like she had a million dollars, but she didn't. You know, she, but she was that generous. And I was like, if there's anyone on this planet that deserved this, it was not her. And now she's got three grandkids and she can't even, she can't even enjoy the fruit of her labor. She can't even enjoy this. She had to put up with my crazy tale. And she can't even enjoy the fruit of her labor. She can't even en enjoy her grandkids. Young 60s, like I'm thinking it's the time of your life where you get to enjoy all the hard work dedication and stuff you did and she's sitting here with cancer ravaging her body not even looking just looking like a shell of herself and here's the thing I, I, I knew all the Christian stuff to say I was a pastor well she's in a better place you know it's you know it all works to the good but in those moments when you're suffering it's not Christian pithy pithy statements that bring comfort I, re, I, re, I just remember saying this isn't fair. Suffering is really one of the biggest, the biggest reasons why people believe that Christianity is a farce. Say, how could a good God allow suffering to go on? Like, if he's all powerful, why doesn't he just step, step in? If he's all loving, how can he do this? If he's all present, why is there so much suffering? Truth is, it doesn't matter what you believe. Whether you are a Christian, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, it doesn't take away the fact that suffering is a present reality in our world. But your belief system does play a part in how you will handle, process, and learn from suffering. Here's the thing, right? You, you could be someone, I don't believe in God. Okay. Let's take God out of the equation then. What is suffering? Why do you suffer? Why do you even care if there's no God? And I mean, really, if you're an atheist and believe there's no God, there's no reason we're on this planet. We're just all the conglomeration of, of particles coming together primordial sludge coming together over the span of billions 
and billions of years. And really, it's just the process of natural selection playing itself out. So why do you care about suffering? Muslims, they, they just, it's what Allah wanted. It's Allah's will. If it happens, Allah willed it. So if they're suffering, well, it's what Allah wanted. Hindus and Buddhists, they believe it's karma. Well, just apparently in some other life, you messed up and you are just now reaping the consequences in a reincarnated form of a life you lived as something or somebody else. So it doesn't matter what your belief system is. It doesn't take away the fact that they're suffering here. But what we see in scripture and from the Christian worldview world is that suffering isn't meaningless or hopeless like, like the atheist belief. It's not the will of some God who is distant and omnipotent and just duck, duck, dams whoever he wishes like they teach as Muslims. It's not just about you paying your cosmic debt because of some former life you lived through karma that Buddhists and Hindus teach. Christians actually believe that suffering is and will be a part of life because of the fallen world we live in. We don't deny that. However, if suffering is properly viewed, processed, and learned from, it will be used to shape and form us into the ultimate goal of the Christian faith, which is what? To be like Jesus. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, Christianity teaches that contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Now, it's a, hard pl- it's, 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 it's a hard process to get into this place where you view suffering as bringing you stability and more spiritual power than you can ever imagine. But that's what I, that is what I hope to do today. It's impossible to preach a comprehensive sermon on the whole concept of suffering. And I'm, and I'm going to fall short today in some way, shape, or form. There's going to be questions you have. There are going to be things that I'm not going to have time to say but the bottom line is this. I don't know what you need today. But I believe this. The Holy Spirit knows. The Holy Spirit knows what you need to hear. I've prepared some, some, something. And I pray that something I say would fill your soul with what, you, with, what you, with what you need today. My hope today isn't to trivialize, isn't to trivialize your suffering or make it, or make or make, or make light of it, or like I said, just give you Christian pithy statements that try to make you feel better, but don't actually dig in, into the pain. My hope today is to help you learn, process with, and learn from suffering well, because the truth is today, you are suffering, just coming out of suffering, or will be suffering soon. It's crazy how it, just, it can take one phone call. It can take one text message. It can take one fill-in-the-blank to where you have this great life of comfort, ease, and stability, and in a moment's notice, your life is turned upside down. I think one of the biggest things that we need to to deal with concerning suffering is the fact that many of us are sincerely surprised by it, especially as Christians, right? Because of it, if we're honest, we many of us started to follow Jesus because we thought it would make our life easier. Anyone here fall into that? Like Jesus is this like fairy. Well, like if you follow him or he's this like genie, like you rub him the right way and you start to follow him. And, and honestly, us preachers have failed in this way many times because we've even preached and told you, follow Jesus and your life will get just so much better. And really what we've done is we've set you up to fail. Because we've told you Jesus, you know, because honestly, what, what we've done many times is we've, is, is we've taken the dream of our country, which is what? Happiness. You'd be happy. And we said, well, people, people aren't going to listen to, like, sermons like this one, where you've got a, a preacher up there saying suffering is a, is a reality. So we've just said, well, Jesus wants you to be happy. That'll get people to come to church. Let's say that. 
But honestly, what we've done is we've set people up to fail. Today's sermon isn't one you probably want to hear, but it's one you need to hear. It's one you need to hear because it's not fun to hear, but it will prepare you probably more than any other sermon, any other message that I could give. But honestly, we've thought following Jesus would make our lives easier. And whenever we hit suffering as Christians, we can be severely shocked and surprised by it to where it leaves many of us saying, well, what did I do to deserve this? I read my Bible, maybe, sort of, but I read it. I go to church, even in the rain. God, did you see, see that? In a rainstorm, I went. But give some money, God. Like, and then we start listing things that we've done to God or we've done for God. And then we almost put God on trial. And then we question the character and goodness of God because of the stuff we see and the stuff we are experiencing. And then we start to name these things off that, God, I've done this for you. I've done this for you. When we experience suffering, it can drive us then to question the character and nature of a good God. Isn't it true? You've got friends and family. I know you do. One of the beefs they have with Christianity, one of the reasons why they will never come or, or that you think they will never step foot into this place with you, even though you've asked them, is because how could a good God, how could 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 God? But what is their concept of God? Is it the good luck charm in your back pocket God? Is it the, like, like do they even know what God they're talking about? And honestly, what we see in Scripture here is that God created the world good. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, you can see, you know, made the sun, the moon, the star. I mean, it's, it's, it, 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 it's the creation story, and whenever God creates something, he calls it good. And then we see in Genesis 3, you got man, woman, in the garden, chilling, every, every, everything's good, and Satan comes and tries to, and, and, and tempts them. And, and says, did God really say that? It, it, you know, and starts to question what is God's best. Adam and, and Eve, what we see, they give in to the temptation. They say, we want our way instead of God's way. And right after that, we see the fallout of the choice that man, when, when, when man says, I want my way instead of God's way, we see the fallout where in chapter three, they say, God, we want our way. Chapter four, you see the byproduct of, of when sin happens. Cain ends up killing Abel. And by chapter six, God is like, I'm going to flood this joint. These people are so messed up. And, and, and what it actually says is every inclination of their heart was evil. Racism started. They started classifying people. These people groups are better than, than this people group. Women, they're better than guys, you know, and, 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 and then you saw sexual abuse starting. Like, it was the byproduct of what happens when, when, whenever man says, I'm good, God, we don't need you. And I think we see the byproduct of that in, in our world today. That there is a source of suffering, and that source of suffering is sin, because suffering was never in the original plan of God. But when, when people say, God, we want our way instead of your way, what we end up eventually seeing is a world that is filled with suffering. Now, here's the truth. I, I know that that is not a, an emotionally satisfying answer of saying the reason the source of suffering is sin. The Christian worldview states the source of our suffering is sin. It's us wanting our way instead of God's way. That might not be emotionally satisfying, but it is scripturally ac accurate. And then here's the thing, right? Because there's a source of suffering that is sin, we can be surprised as followers of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. I want to remind you that following Jesus never meant that you would have the absence of suffering. If someone told you that, if I told you that, I'm sorry. If some other pastor told you that, they're lying. Though, our preacher, though many preachers have failed you at times, Jesus' own life and words show us that even if you are the son of God and you live a perfect life, it doesn't mean that suffering won't be a part of your life. Matter of fact, it will be one of the main instruments that God will use to shape and mold you. Here's the thing, guys. We have to see suffering through the lens of Jesus' life. So if Jesus was the perfect expression of God, Jesus was God in the form of a human being, 
Jesus' life is the example for those who want to follow God's will. And the path is not easy, friends. So if Jesus is the blueprint, Jesus is the plan. So God's goal for you isn't your happiness, it's not your dreams, it's not your goals. Those are all good, those, those aren't bad. But God's ultimate desire for you is to shape and form you into a Christ-like person. He wants you to be little Christ. He wants you to be to embody God on this planet through being transformed and shaped into a person that is like Jesus in character, thought, mind, motive, action. If that is the plan, then we gotta see what happened in Jesus's life to get him to that point and see is there things that we can take and apply to our journey and our plan for our life. And there's a few things about suffering that we see in Jesus's life that we need to see, fam, if we're gonna suffer and suffer well. Number one is this, don't be surprised when you suffer. Like I said, I know this preaching isn't gonna grow a church. if it's your first time, I promise we're not this depressing every time. If it's your first time, I promise. And like I said, this is a sermon that you might not want it, that you might not want to actually hear, but it's a sermon you need. And I pray, and I and here's the thing. I'm I'm believing that this sermon for some of for some of you here is gonna save your life. I, sin- I sincerely believe that. But don't be surprised when you suffer. You see that every, I mean, I'm not even kidding, pretty much everybody in the Bible that God used in the Bible suffered in some way, shape, or form. If you're going to let God use you, be aware of saying, God, use me. Because typically when God is going to use you, he's got to break you. He's got to break you because your will is that strong. Think about Moses. led grumbling people in the desert for 40 years. Like, he was like, God, when are you going to kill these people? (laughs) Like, these people are just, but he's like, you know, the promised land. And and do you know what, Moses, he leads them for 40 years and dies, never leads them into the promised land. Think about the prophets that God used in the Old Testament. Like, the Old Testament is literally stories about prophets going to these godless countries and saying, hey, uh, the guy that's like up there, like he's not happy with you, like you need to change some things, you need to da, 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 da. And typically all the prophets were beaten, stoned, and eventually killed when they spoke truth to power, when they spoke truth in dark places, when they spoke truth to people that didn't want God's way but wanted their own way. Jeremiah, he's, he's, he opens his mouth, speaks against this, this, foreign, this foreign country, speaks the words of God, he gets beat naked, Thrown, thrown into a ditch and is ultimately exiled with his people. You got Josiah, one of, one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament, someone that became king at nine years old, institutes all these crazy reforms, like gets people back on, you know, it gets people, he does incredible work of seeing people reformed and, and getting back into God's law and does a great job leading the country, dies at 30-some years old, and right after he died, all of the things he put into place were just in shackles, and Israel wanted to do what Israel does. John the Baptist, Jesus said there's no one better than John the Baptist on this planet. Literally, John the Baptist, if it's your first time here, or you don't know the Bible really well, it says John the Baptist came and prepared the way for, for, for Jesus to come and preach. And Jesus said about John the Baptist, there's no human being greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was decapitated in prison at 30-some years old. New Testament, all the disciples died badly. They die badly. The apostle John was boiled alive and eventually stoned and crucified. Peter, crucified upside down. Andrew, crucified. Thomas, pierced with swords. Matthew, stabbed to death. Matthias, burned to death. And let me tell you about Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29. This is what Paul said about about his own life. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, meaning 39 times he was whipped with this kind of like leather whip with kind of like glass and shards of teeth on it, and it would basically go into your back. They would put it there and then rip it off, and it would rip skin off 
off my back. So five times he got that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. Anyone want to be like Paul? Who's signing up for that ministry? Here's the thing. We want Paul-type power, but we don't want to pay the Paul-type price. Even me. Like, I'm, I'm like, yo, I'm good. But Paul was also the one, his shadow was healing people. He would pray over handkerchiefs. The book of Acts says he would pray over handkerchiefs and they would take the handkerchief over to a person that was sick and the handkerchief would touch him and heal him. Don't we want to see stuff like, like that happen? I believe God can do it. But do we want to pay the price that Paul paid? Do we, do we, do, do we want to be broken the way that Paul was broken? Charles Spurgeon called the prince of preachers. So, so this is more modern church. Charles, Charles Spurgeon was called the prince of preachers, one of the greatest preachers of all time. His whole life, he battled rheumatoid arthritis. He battled gout. He battled depression. His wife was in invalid. And she could not bear children to him. The prince of preachers laid low and he called suffering the greatest book in his library. And we haven't even started with Jesus. Jesus was raised working class poor. He was born in a scandal. I mean, you know, it's kind of weird when your mom gets pregnant, 13, without a man. It's a little shaky. People hated him. His best friends turned their back on him. His own people captured him and killed him. Scripture said that his suffering and anguish was so bad in the Garden of Gethsemane before he encountered Passion Week that it said he sweated drops of blood. I think there is a reason why Jesus said, following him, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow him. I think there is a reason why Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it. Here's the thing, I'm not trying to depress you. I'm not trying to say your life is gonna be all like this. Like, I'm not speaking this over your life, but what I just wanna get into your hearts, minds, and soul, church. I don't wish suffering on you. I, I, I pray you don't have, have suffering, but what I pray is that if you do suffer in some way, shape, or form, that you are not surprised for it and then start to blame God for stuff that, that happens. And then you start to think about God's, character through the lens of your suffering instead of the lens of God's plan, which is to form and shape you to be like Jesus, which you can see a little bit about what happened in Jesus's life. So I don't want you to be surprised, family. I don't want you to be surprised, church, because here's the thing. Suffering will always be a hindrance for you if you don't view becoming like Jesus as the end goal. Suffering will always be like, well, blaming God, blaming your circumstances. No, suffering is a part of the process. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Secondly, you see, suffering was a necessary part of Jesus' development. And you think about some of the processes that we have in, in our culture in place that help shape people through suffering. Think about SEAL training. SEAL training, the point of SEAL training is to put you in a living hell. Literally. What did you say? Literal hell? No, they don't go to literal hell. But it's, 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 <laughs> but it's like they, they, they are put in a place where there is so much suffering, it equips them for the task of whatever mission their commander gives them. Because they're prepared for it. 
Think about training camp. NFL teams every year gather, and though it's gotten a little soft because of all these rules, no comment. But here's the thing, they go through training camp, why? To go through suffering so when, so, so when the season comes, they're equipped and ready to face struggle. Could it be that your suffering is needed to get you developed into a place where God sees beyond where you currently are and he says, I need to get you ready for something? If it was true for Jesus, it'll be true for us. Hebrews 5.8, this verse has always just confused me until, honestly, a couple days ago. It, it says, it says, son, though he was, he's talking about Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. What? Like, he was Jesus. Like, how, what? But honestly, John, 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 uh, the preacher John Piper exp explained this in such a great way whenever he said what this could actually say is he, he learned tested obedience. He, he was tested, and he, here's the thing, right? His obedience went from untested obedience to tested obedience. And there's a big difference, is, isn't there? It's easy to follow God when all is good, when it's 70 degrees and sunny, when the plan that you wanted to have happen happens, when what you had in mind, perfect. But then you, see, see that is untested obedience. I'll follow you, God. Lord, I love you. Well, then what happens whenever your will isn't done? What you had planned, what you wanted, like what you thought was going to happen didn't happen. Then your obedience gets, test, gets, gets tested, and it's seen, is it true and legit obedience? And that's what suffering does. It tests us to, it tests us to see why are we really following God in the first place. Are we following him just to get something from him, or are we following him for him? And that's what suffering can do. It can expose us and test our obedience. But honestly, what we see, I love what Paul says here, Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because you know that suffering produces what? Perseverance. Have you seen this play out in, in your life? Some of your greatest times of suffering has led to you being able to withstand Another crazy part of your life coming up. Perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. What I need you to see, church, suffering, don't be surprised for it, by it, but also to know that suffering is, is necessary in your development. And I know that's not sexy to say. I know you've got questions that, well, John, well, what about this and what about that? And we can sit down and grab coffee about those things. But the thing is, you can ask why. Like, you know how many, you, I, God, why my mom, why my mom? But here's the thing. If it's going to be important for your, if it's going to be used for your development, you've got to switch the question from why did this happen to God? What are you showing me and how are you going to use it to make me more like you? Thirdly, suffering helps you help others. Do you know Jesus suffered temporarily so you wouldn't suffer eternally? Jesus suffered. He was beaten, crucified on a cross for you. He endured temporary suffering so you wouldn't have to suffer eternally. The gospel itself is a story about someone's suffering leading to someone else's saving. I believe what this shows us is your suffering is not just about you. Your suffering can actually lead to someone else's saving. Because honestly, I believe what you walk through and what you go through that, that is your biggest Mess and is your biggest pain can actually be your greatest purpose and your greatest message to someone else. That's why I love helping stuttering people. Because <laughs> here's the thing, whenever stuttering people get together, we know the pain. We know how much it sucks. 
Because we're like, me too. Yeah. You know that time when you were trying to get that out? Yeah, I felt like an idiot. Yeah, me too. And we can, in our suffering, we can help each other. And, and that's, that's why some of the things that you are suffering through and suffering in right now, God is going to use you to be his hands and his feet and his representation to someone else in the same place of suffering that you currently are. If you've gone through a divorce and you know the pain of that, God's going to put people in your path that have gone through divorces and he's going to, you're going to be his hands, his feet. If you've gone through the death of someone you absolutely love, God's going to put in your path people that have been through the same thing and you're going to be his hands, his feet and the strength that God gave you, you're going to be God's strength to that person. And fill in the blank with, with whatever other suffering you want to put in there. But honestly, what you see is when, if you don't take your suffering and turn it into purpose, you waste your pain. It's too valuable, y'all. Your greatest suffering is too valued for it just to be about you. You're suffering whenever you take it and give it to God, and you say, God, I can't do this. I need you to take it and transform it. However long that process takes, you ask God why, you go through it, and then as you get through the fog, you, you say, okay, God, what can you do? How can you actually use this? Whenever you give it to him, he will take it and use it and give it great purpose. We see this in Joseph's life, one of the greatest stories in the Bible. His brothers sell him into slavery sell him into slavery, Joseph, and then through this crazy event, he, he ends up becoming king in Egypt, basically, and his brothers, the same brothers, hit a famine, and they came to Egypt looking for food, and guess who was the king that was able to supply them with the food they needed to feed their families? It was Joseph, and what Joseph said was, what the animal, what, what the animal, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it into good. But Here's the thing. I know when you're in suffering, it's hard to see that. And some of y'all, like, you need to grieve. Some of y'all are just trying to play like something that died in your life. You're just trying to, to, to just get over it. Anything that dies needs a grieving season. If it's the death of a relationship, if it's the death of a dream, it's the, if it's the death of a business, if it's the death of something that was dear to you, no matter what it, what it was, you need a season of grieving. And you don't need to feel bad about that. You, you are still Christian and love God if you grieve. Because grieving is actually something that God put, put into place to help us process and get to this point where we see suffering as being for our good. Some of y'all are trying to be super Christian. Why well, do you know? Well, God is good, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we know that. But you got to give your soul some time to process and work through the wise. And then God will guide you and lead you in through the help of this church, through the help of those closest to you. And here's the thing. If you're suffering today in silence, you're suffering by yourself, I plead with you not to. Like, you might be a first-time guest here, second, you might have been here a couple months, and you're like, I don't want to put all my stuff out here to this church. I'm brand new. They're going to think I'm crazy. Y'all, we know everyone's crazy. <laughs> you're not going to shock us. It's not going to amaze us. We know people are, we all got issues. Welcome to the club. Our church probably has more issues than a lot of other churches, and I'm fine with that. Because honestly, the, the bottom line is this. God uses people with issues. And I believe the more issues we have, the more opportunity we have to minister to people that have issues. So if you're suffering in silence today, I beg and plead with you. Tell somebody here. Tell a leader. Like, if you don't know who a leader is, just come up to me after service. Hey, I, I need to talk to someone. Don't suffer in silence by yourself. But honestly, what you'll see, 2 Corinthians 1, through, 1, 3 through 5. It says this here. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. This is Paul talking. So, so the same guy, in trouble in this, in trouble in that. This is him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so our comfort abounds through Christ. Meaning, as you go through your suffering, you become the comfort of Christ to other people that are suffering. And ultimately, that is what the church is called to be y'all one of the greatest testimonies we can give to this to this world is to suffer well 
Some of y'all think preaching the gospel is just having a good sermon. Some, some of y'all think preaching the gospel is, is, is you know, just you know, being able to say the Romans road to salvation and blah, blah, blah. Do you know what the, what the greatest testimony that our world needs to see is people, Christians, that suffer well? And that suffer and don't, and, and don't give in saying, I'm going to interpret my suffering and I'm going to inflict on the character of of. And I'm going to inflict on the character of God that God is not good. We need people that say, do you know what? Suffering is a part of life. It is. We live in a fallen world. But here's the thing. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it. I'm going to process it. I'm not going to run from it. But here's the thing. I'm going to process it and use it to help others. All right. What I say first? Suffering what? I don't, oh, don't, don't be surprised by it. Secondly, suffering what is, was a part of Jesus' development, and it'll be a part of your development. Thirdly, suffering helps you help, help others. And fourthly, suffering is a sign that hope is on the horizon. Worship team, y'all can come up, keep me accountable. so I don't preach for seven years. Suffering is a sign that hope is on the horizon. So I'm going to close, close here. Like I said, this, it's, it's hard to teach and preach a comprehensive sermon on suffering in 35, 40 minutes. But I believe suffering is a sign that hope is on the horizon. Once you put yourself in the place of the disciples, on the Friday that Jesus was crucified, so you've got these disciples that follow Jesus for three years. Jesus, Jesus did miracles, signs, wonders. He said stuff. He taught things that at that time they didn't understand. They weren't fully aware of, you know, they all thought Jesus was going to come and be this political ruler. He's going to overthrow Rome and Jesus is going to bring Israel back to being the ruling nation in the region. And that's who kind of they thought Jesus was. So then they see Jesus... Uh, get, get betrayed by one of his 12 friends, one of his 12 disciples, taken, beaten, mocked, scorned, put a crown of thorns on his head, and then taken, carried his own cross to Golgotha, and was put up on the cross, nailed his hands, feet, I mean, I mean, kill, I mean literally a Roman crucifixion, which, here's the thing, any, any scholar, historical scholar will say if there's one thing that Rome was good at, it was inflicting pain and killing people. So imagine being a disciple and your king, your Lord, your hero, your savior is on the cross and you're face to face on that Friday with your suffering. And some of you are there, like your, your life is like a constant Friday where you're face to face with your pain and suffering. Just like the disciples are face to face with Jesus dying and their suffering. And right now it's real to you, it's raw to you, it just happened and your emotions are raw, and your spirit is raw, and you're, you're almost numb. But some of you, as the disciples were on that Saturday, you know what I'm saying? Saturday is kind of like, okay, that happened, but now you're kind of just like in that in-between moment where it happened, and you're kind of just dazed and confused, and you're trying to process through like, but I thought Jesus said that he was like, I, like, I thought Jesus was going to save us, and I just, and Saturday is kind of that confusing time, and some of you, you are at a Saturday where you've just gone through a season, you're not face-to-face with your suffering, but you are kind of, you're at that Saturday where it's, it's like, it's not as raw as it was, but you're, you're intellectually trying to wrestle with why it happened, and what you could have done better, and how it could have been different, and you're, you're just in that, 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 in between place on Saturday that I'm sure many of the disciples were at. Where they would say like, I thought Jesus was this and they're just in that in between place. But here's the thing, whether you're at a Friday where you're face to face with your suffering or you're at a Saturday where you're dazed and confused, you can always be assured that there is a Sunday a coming. And I don't know if you know what happened on the Sunday after Good, on the Sunday after good Friday. Jesus did what? He rose from the dead. 
hope was given. The disciples, oh, when Jesus said he would destroy the temple and raise it again in three days, he was talking about his body. When he was talking about all these Old Testament scriptures, and they were talking, and, and he was talking about Isaiah, and he was talking about Jeremiah, and he was talking about all these other places where he was talking, he, he said, this is who I am in the Old Testament scriptures. <gasps> that was him. And here's the thing, Sunday, it started, it made sense. Sunday, hope was given. And what I want to, to tell you today, is if you're in a Friday moment where you're face to face with your suffering, if you're in a Saturday where you're in between and you don't know it's not as raw, but you're just still confused, I wanna let you know that the Christian promise, the Christian hope is that there is a Sunday eventually coming. Where, yeah, y'all can clap for that, come on. It's good, it is good news. It is good news, church. And this is what Christianity is based on. It's based on hope. It's based on a hope that this suffering will not last forever. This injustice that we see, these injustices that we see that make us angry, irritated, racism, classism, all of these things that infuriate us, that there will come a day when the wrongs will be made right, that when what people has sowed, they will reap, that the injustice and suffering we see, feel, and experience will be righted by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, he, and the truth is this here, the suffering that you feel, see, and experience now, when that Sunday happens, whether that's you go to glory or whether Jesus comes back, you'll have the same moment that Jesus' disciples had where they said, oh, I get it now. So I pray today, church, that this suffering that you're feeling and going through and see and experience this is all just the siren in your soul letting you know this isn't all there is. You weren't made for this. I'm gonna do the worst thing ever to do to end a sermon. But all my seminary professors said, don't do it this way. I don't care. I'm gonna do it. And we're gonna read 13 scripture verses. Oh my God. We're, we're gonna read a portion of scripture that is 13 verses, but I need y'all to get every piece of focus you have. Come, come back, come on, come back in. And we're, we're gonna read this portion of scripture that Paul, you know, the guy that got beat, torn up, jacked up, messed up, all these things that he wrote, that I believe describe exactly where we're at today and what you need for your soul. And I pray that as we read these, these, these scriptures, it would fill your soul and fill your heart and spirit with, with a Sunday hope. This is what Paul says. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation, right, is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Can I get an amen? For we all know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If already we have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently, everyone say patiently, and confidently, and God is wanting a people that will be patient but confident. Saying, yep, I'm suffering. But I know who my God is. You get your shoulders back and you put your chest out. I'm moving. It says here, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And, we, and, and I think this is a familiar scripture. It says, and we know that God causes everything, all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. 
For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like who? So God's goal was Jesus, right? So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Can't you just see Paul like, this is so wonderful! If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me say that one more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? See, here's the thing. Does, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or danger or threatened with death? Here's the thing. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed all day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, everyone say convinced, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of y'all, you, you need to read that every day. Because church, look, if you're in a Friday or you're in a Saturday, the promise is there is a temporary and an eternal Sunday that's going to happen where the rights are, where the wrongs are gonna be made right and we have a savior and king that will come and there will be no more suffering. There will be justice, there will be love, there will be forgiveness, there will be human flourishing. But while we're on this planet, we are his representatives. So we bring the justice of God. We, we bring life, we bring hope. We are patient in suffering and but confident yet. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.